So Gospel Deep, that's the series we're in. We're just walking through what in the world does it mean that uh, that God has a gospel story for us. The good news of Jesus Christ. And um, amazed that it means more than just a starting point. That it means more than just that instant of time that somehow gets it all going. And then from then on we're all on our own again. It's forever Him with us. Gospel Deep. And... Uh, the deal, though, is we better understand the gravity of our condition with him. And that's Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. And all too often we describe the problem of the gospel, right? Hey, what's the problem? And, and then we start out and we say something like, um, well, that I've sinned or, or that I'm going to hell or, right? We make it about me and the condition upon me as man. And while that's true, that is true. Everybody say that's true. While that's true, uh, maybe here's a better way to think of it. The biggest deal with the gospel is it impacts God's glory. It's all about his glory. And so this first series is called His Glory Trampled. As we made it all about us, as we trounced on him, and yes, there is horrific cost for that. As we make it all about us, well, his glory is getting stomped on. We've exchanged the glory of God, Romans chapter 1, and the death spiral begins. Uh, That's what it looks like. That's what it's all about for us to grasp Romans 1 through 3. It's about his glory being trampled. And so we're going to close this series today, uh, Gospel Deep, His Glory Trampled, last one in this series. And it's simply answering the question, what does it mean that we've trampled his glory? What does it even look like? In fact, what's our solutions that we're like... Hey, hey, I got this one, God. Don't worry about it. And then he goes through the description here, all right? And uh, so turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Romans 3, 9. And uh, we're simply going to take a look, a deep, deep look at uh, our possible solutions that we go after and God's statement about the need therein. And uh, hey, we got ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just... Raise your hand, they'll get one to you, all right? Just raise your hand, they'll get a Bible to you. We're going to walk verse by verse through this. So uh, Romans 3, 9 through, the, uh, through verse 20. All right, here we go. It starts in verse 9. What then? See, when you hear a question like that, he's tying it together with the prior. And he's like, so you've just made some statements, and I'm sure it's making you ask some questions. Uh, what then? And uh, he goes on to fill that in. And, and I'll tell you right now, the first solution that we see that he actually says does not work, well, it's works. That's point number one, works. No one is even close to good enough. And yet, how many religions do you know of that go after this statement? Well, if I'm good enough, then, right? Missing the point. Every single religion that comes with the solution of man give your effort misses the point we're never good enough that's the point works doesn't get it done but we're like hey i got this one god i'll just keep trying real hard myself and uh so he says what then are are we jews any better off no not at all uh, remember, he was just talking about the Jews in the prior section, and he was calling out condemnation and ridiculousness for their boasting and for their objections. And, and he's like, hey, man, the Jews don't have it any better off in the end with God when it comes to eternal life. They do have benefits. 
Everybody say there's benefits. If you're like, I don't know what they are, then, then you can check out last week's message. Okay. And we walked through some of the benefits of being uh, Jewish, but it doesn't save. And, uh, he says, no, there's no better off at all for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. All are under sin. And we need to get the clarity of what that means under sin. Um, you know, often when things go well for us, we'll say something like, oh man, I'm, I'm on top of it. You know, how'd it go yesterday? I was so on top of it. I got this and this done and I, right. And this says we are so under it. We are under sin. And, uh, the original language word there, it basically means, uh, a, a sense of remaining under the weight bearing down upon you. All of us sin and we are under that sin we are under its temptation we are under its impacts we are under its devastation we are under its draw we are under sin it says as it is written now here come 13 of the most grievous descriptions of you and me that have ever existed all right and he goes through five different psalms and a couple of places in Isaiah, and he's grabbing some of these phrases to make clear where we stand. Why don't works work? Uh, what's so wrong with works? Why not try that plan? Why not go after it? All right, here we go. He's going to start out with the 13. First one. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none righteous. Look, man, you can go about all the works you want, but you are not perfect the word righteous perfect you're not going to be able to live up to every facet and every aspect ever in your life on your own without christ everybody say this is all without christ that's what we're describing in chapters one two and three without christ in general right and we stand without it well what about when i'm saved so now i'm righteous no then the change begins transformation process that we start going through over time, okay? And uh, praise be to God when we get home to heaven, perfection hits, all right? And uh, that's the beauty of eternal life with him is uh, all this gets dropped. Praise be to God. Uh, there is none righteous. Nobody's perfect. There is no one who understands. No one who understands. We're all like, oh, oh, I know. And then when we give the answer, it's like, uh, no, not even close. Right? No one understands. And uh, we think we get it. We think somehow it's all about me. And somehow we mix into it all the stories of me and the wants of me and the likes of me and the, what happens to me. And no one understands. We miss the greatness of our God. Right? Isaiah chapter 6, when he ends up in the throne room with God Almighty and it drops him to his knees and he says, woe is me for I am undone. Oh, the wake up moment just happened. He understood. And uh, there is no one who understands. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. Without Christ, we stand in one spot really excited about my world. And we don't seek after him. We seek after me. And we do a lot of horizontal hunting. Looking for the stuff in our friends and in our jobs and in our money and in our possessions and in our da-da-da-da-da. We've exchanged the glory of God for. And that's where we stand. 
Man, this is a huge phrase. No one seeks after God. Uh, We're going to talk about it more throughout Romans. It's going to pop up a couple different times. But when we start talking about salvation, we better understand that quick phrase. No one seeks after God. And uh, I'm not going to go into the heavy details now, but for me to say, yeah, I came to Jesus. It was all my decision. I sought after him and I found him and it was all me and I. Really? No one seeks after God. Some of these phrases are going to start making sense as we piece it all together over time. Some of you have got the most inquisitive look right now. I don't know if I get it. And let me just say this. It takes God's intervention or we are this description for eternity. Okay? We got to grasp that. No one seeks after God on their own. We run around on our own and it takes God's intervention. Make sure we grasp the beauty of his offered relationship with us. Uh, All religious systems, well, they're nothing but an attempt to satisfy the absence of God with anything but God. That's what's going on. No one seeks after God. Anything we can do, any opportunity, that's what it looks like. It says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Wow, this is a great self-esteem passage, isn't it? And uh, all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. Meaning, in the end, worth, worthless. What does that mean? Well, it's speaking to God in his glory. It's speaking to God in his purpose. And we're not helping fulfill that. We're not about going after him and his purposes, him shown off, his glory revealed, God being shown as the almighty creator of the universe. We're interested in showing off me and uh, worthless, wrong purpose, wrong message, and uh, still hanging on me. It says, no one does good. Okay, here's that word again, right? No one does good. No, not one. And uh, remember the word good? We talked about this uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, This is a phrasing, a word that means perfection. And Christ even used it. He said, why are you calling me good? As he challenges a man who doesn't really believe that Jesus is God. And he's like, come on, why do you call me good? Only God is good, right? Come on, come along with me. Jesus is introducing himself. Hello, my name's God. Nice to meet you, right? And he's getting the guy to wake up to this as he uses the word good. Good is this idea of expressing the divine perfection. That's what it is. We think of it as good, you know, not great, certainly not perfect or excellent. Good, it's good, right? When you say, hey, how was your day? And they're like, oh, it was good. You're like, oh man, what went wrong, right? Good somehow has bad mixed in it for us in our day. That is not what was meant here. Good absolutely nothing but the awesomeness of God. Answer, no one does that. No, not one. And uh, now we get into a description of the heart being spilled out. It says, their throat is an open grave. I can imagine that Paul was having some fun with these metaphors now, okay? Their throat is an open grave. Uh, I'm not even going to ask the have you ever. So being around something that's been dead for a while, the odor that comes off of it, right? And an open grave is like something's been 
dead for a long time and there's an odor pouring out of that thing. And as you walk past, you're like, oh, man. And open grave. Your throat is an open grave. And the thing that's dead is your heart. And the odor of the death of your heart is pouring out upward. Right out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And he's like, I'm telling you, your words are revealing the death within. It's like the tomb's been opened, man. And we've got problems. And uh, your throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. So now we're moving from the throat up to the tongue. They use their tongues to deceive. You know, the word deceive, it actually means like the baited hook. Deceive. It, it looks so tasty on the outside. Like there's these morsels of meat or whatever, but underneath is that sharp barb that's going to nab, right? And like that's your tongue. It's trying to delicately flavor things and make things look like, but the reality is underneath. Sharp, tugging the darkness of our heart as we somehow at some point express the me in me and cut quick to the heart of them. And uh, their tongue is deceiving and it says then the venom of asps is under their lips that's a lot of s's in that the venom of asps is in their lips and uh so now we've moved from heart to uh throat to tongue and now we're at lips and think about this an asp it's a very poisonous snake when they would leech uh, leap outwards their uh mouth would open up and these fangs would flip down from behind the lips basically of the of that snake or asp it would flip down in these hollowed um, tubes which are the fangs would pierce and as it pierced in there was a sack of poison up in the lips that would then be pressed and it would drip down or run down through the hollow fang and around the fang into the victim and poison killing I mean, that's some pretty harsh description. And he's like, the venom of the asps is under your lips. Um, we tend to be destructive with our words. And uh, I don't know about that, Tim. That seems kind of harsh. I'm a nice guy. Encouragement is my gig. Like, I lift people up. And, and um, really? Like, have you ever been in one of those moments where they're talking to you, whoever they is, you can fill in the blank? And uh, now your mind has filled in the blank. You know who I'm talking about in your life. And, and they're saying something and it's just not fair. And, and the answer back is not, I love you. And uh, hey, you matter so much to me. I know you're cutting me, but that's okay. I'm just going to love on you, right? Tag. And uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be that harsh with. And, and man, that's even when we're Maybe having Jesus Christ with us as believers. And this is speaking to life without Christ. How much more we can tag and hurt the one that is right next to us. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So we've gone from heart to throat to tongue to lips. Now we're looking at the mouth, the whole front. Your mouth full of curses and bitterness. So curses, that's like... God, bring destruction upon. I wish bad for you. Curses. 
Like, you're so angry that you just unleash it on them. And right now you really don't care about them at all. Hurt them. And usually because I've been hurt, right? They hurt me. So hurt them back. And that's what he's talking about here is the mouth has curses in it. And then bitterness. You know what bitterness is? That's like anger that's set aside and let to fester for a long time, right? That's like the glass of milk you pour and you leave for three months. Bitterness, the glass of anger you pour and you leave for months or years. And it's worse times ten. And bitterness, uh, here's another way to say it, bitterness, it's that poison we drink to try to hurt the other person. Right, bitterness. We try to harbor this anger and resentment against them because somehow it'll be worse for them when in fact all it does is eat us alive from the inside out. And uh, if that's what's in your heart, well then that's going to be what pours out through your mouth. Bitterness and hurt and dark and the struggle. It says their feet are swift to shed blood. No respect for life. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And uh, those around them are nothing more than tools to get done what I want done. And their paths are ruin and misery. In their paths are ruin and misery. Uh, I just wrote this down. The word ruin there, and uh, many of you have different words in your translation for it. It literally means to break into pieces. The word that was in the original there. It's destructive. It's long-term it's horrible and uh and it leaves everything demolished in its path uh, breaking into pieces it's devastating and uh when you experience that well the end result is misery right it says ruin and misery and so this feeling of uh sickness as you're in the midst of hurt uh, maybe you've done the hurting maybe they've hurt you and uh the pain of it all. Man, is this ringing true for any of you? Like, as you start going through it, you're like, wow. First of all, that's really dark, right? Second of all, and I've tasted of some of this, much of this. In fact, there's things of this I wish I could put down, and they seem to be a repeated habit for me. He says right after it, um, and the way of peace they have not known. Uh, could be the most powerful phrase in the whole thing. And the way of peace. There is a way of peace. Notice it has a definite article in front of it. The. Okay. When you see the, it means there's how many of those? One of those. And there's one way of peace. And, and, and you don't know it. Uh, we on our own, without Jesus Christ, we live unto ourselves. It brings about nothing but unrest. Nothing but a lack of peace. Nothing but a longing for something other and we don't even know what it is and the way of peace we Well, we did not know And um, and then lastly, there is no fear of god before their eyes They have absolutely no respect for the authority in god's hand And um, yeah I'm doing it wrong anyway, and I don't care And we'll see what god does and Maybe he'll bring something and maybe he won't to a punishment. Oh, well. And I believe God's mostly going to be loving. 
And so I'm going down this path anyway. And um, there is no fear of God in them. Man, may we never toy with the authority of God Almighty. I think it could be the most underpreached topic in all of Scripture uh, today in America. Not toying with the Almighty King who's in charge. Not saying, I'm going to make it about me, and he'll just have to do his forgiving thing. And uh, be careful. That's a dangerous path to be on. And I guarantee you that is not the way of peace. That is not a relationship with our king. So, um, you know, I just wanted to do this on the back side of this. Let's, let's just uh, go back and take a look at, not the back side of your paper. I love how it all flipped. Uh, the back side of looking at the bad here. So what does it look like if we've got a good? Uh, here we go. None is righteous. Perfection. No one understands. I completely get it. I get who God is and I get what he's doing and I understand how he's moving in this world and, and I'm seeking after him and his glory. I'm worthwhile for his purposes. God has shown off in my life. And uh, I am about doing what is perfect in his eyes. My heart is beginning to reveal a love for others, not just a love for me. And so my throat and my tongue and my lips and my mouth, they're beginning to be a salve to the life that people are living, uh, uh, caring for the wounds going on in their experience. And your mouth brings a tenderness to it. That's what it looks like to begin to get what God's all about. And uh, to respect life, to... Uh, understand what it means to build up instead of destroy, to begin to have a sense of peace and to get that God's over it all. That's what it looks like to begin to get it. Uh, as we start to challenge, do we even trust Christ as Savior? Take this and reverse it and see if you're getting it at all, right? Uh, that's a good acid test for where are we at with him. This is God's description of every one of us without Jesus Christ. That's a problem. And... Um, so, this is a touchy topic right now, but so uh, in our home, this week is going to be a hard week. And uh, we talked about our dog, Teddy, and uh, lymphoma, and eight to ten weeks to live was the statement at the time, and it's been about five weeks or six, somewhere in there. And... Um, and it's not looking good. And uh, right now, he's, he's doing well. I mean, he does okay. But uh, blood's now coming out the nose, right? There's some kind of tumor in the sinuses or something. It's time. And so this is going to be a week that we need to uh, put Teddy down. And uh, let me tell you something. Uh, what he has is terminal. Devastating. And the fix isn't there. Praise be to God that what we have is terminal, but we have a great physician. Amen? Amen. That's our hope. That in Jesus Christ alone, there is hope. That while we have a disease that is eating us up from the inside out, that our God has a solution. Do you know the king? 
Do you know that great physician who can heal every one of these problems, all 13 dealt with? And hear me, not in the moment, immediate perfection, but walking us along the way. Why? He could do it that way. He could immediately give perfection. And and I can only guess as to why. Scripture doesn't even say, but here's one guess. He allows us to continue to taste of that muck while we get to taste of him. And I'm telling you, our passionate love for him grows all the more great as we wrestle through this, as we learn in it. As First Peter 1, we go through the trials and the tribulations and the fires that shape us. And God is transforming. And he's bringing our will along the way with it. And uh, I've got a million questions for God. And I guarantee you, he's got a million answers times 10. And they're all awesome. And let's just trust him with all we have that our great physician, Jesus Christ, has a healing answer and he's walking us on a path to fixing these things. And here's the deal. While we're on a path of increasing with him to look more like him, there's a point where maybe through rapture, maybe through death, but at some point we are brought home to be with him and bam, in that moment, absolutely shock every little piece of this 100% gone absolute perfection no tears no sorrow no pain absolutely 100% for him for eternity worthwhile forever amen amen man As we read this scripture, we've got to grasp this. The problem is dire. The situation is terminal. And there is only one hope. Jesus Christ. So simple question for you. Uh, Have you trusted in the great physician? Have you leaned on him and said, Lord, please forgive me for this. This is me. And I lay it before you now. Please forgive me. May you be glorified. And uh, I'm done with this. And I'm turning towards you with all I have. Right? Scripture would call that repentance. Confession and turning towards him. Allowing him to lead and being your king. Uh, That's the simple cry. Hey, works don't work. Good enough is never good enough. Jesus Christ alone and his perfection. That's our only hope. Praise be to God. So my request to you is this. If you're sitting here today and you're like, this is the first time I've ever heard this. Or maybe you're like, no, I've heard this 10 times or 100 times, but I'm on the works game plan right now. I'm trying to be good enough. Please hear me. Make this your last day. With the good enough plan. And get on the plan of Jesus Christ. The way of peace. My great physician. Who heals all of this. Please get on that plan. And make him your God. Will you do that today? Point number one. When we say we've got it as works. Point number two. The law. Well, I got this book. It tells me what to do, right? The law. Uh, no one follows perfectly. The law simply reveals all of our sin. 
the law no one follows perfectly. The law simply reveals all of our sin. So let's walk through it here. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Remember, we are under sin as well. Now we're under the law, right? Clarity there. And uh, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That every mouth may be stopped. This is like the rules are on the refrigerator. They're completely clear. And you walk in and they're like, what? I didn't know. And I, you point to rule number three. I just, I, I'm sorry. Right? That's every mouth stopped. In mid-sentence of whining complaint of why I'm okay and justified in what I'm doing, boom. No, you're right. You're right on that. And we're held accountable before God. See, that's what the law does. It makes clear that we knew. We already saw that in Romans chapter 2. The law makes clear what's right and wrong. And here's the unfortunate part. The law doesn't go back to those 13 elements and heal us. It just points out how high the measuring stick is and that we're under it. And that's it. And the law leaves us in need. And uh, he goes a little further here. And that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Man, if you ever need a verse for talking to somebody who's hooked on works, hooked on being good enough, if that's you today, here it is for you. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No works ever good enough. The end. Okay? Verse 20. And then he closes it down. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It runs rampant in your life. Because the more you know, well, the more you know, and now you know, and God knows you know, and it's done. There's clarity of our sin and our wrong as we stand before him. And that's all it says. The law makes clear that we get it. I would say it this way. There is no good enough. There is no hope in me alone. There is no hope in the law. There is no hope in works. There is no hope in self. There is no hope. Except in Jesus Christ. And, uh, what's the big difference between Christianity and any other religion? We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who's willing to stand in the gap for us. And never is it upon us to fix the problem. We can't fix it. It's too big. Instead, Jesus Christ takes the sin upon him and we get the righteousness of him upon us. It's called imputation. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's given over to us, counted to us. And we now have his righteousness as a robe clothing us hope in Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. And uh, the law, well, the law does not get it done. So uh, Benjamin Franklin, nice guy. Uh, in fact, he was a deist, meaning he believed there was a God, but he was distant out there and maybe couldn't even be known exactly. And he was trying to figure all that out. So he actually went after this moralistic approach, a virtues approach to life. So he wrote 13 virtues down in a book. 
and he put it in his pocket and every day he would pull out that book and he would go to one of the virtues and say, I'm going after this today. And any time I blow that virtue, I'm writing down how I blew it and why I blew it. And I'm going to learn from that. And, and every day he made notes and the next day, different virtue and go after it and then different and then different. And he began to make progress. He began to actually see that his outward expressions were getting a little bit more pure and these virtues were being displayed and he was getting pretty excited about it. He started pressing in the heat all the more and doing it all the more and telling some friends about it. Uh, and then he wrote this down. He said, today I've been devastated for I learned that as I increase 12 of my virtues, one of them plummets pride. My humility drops dramatically as I begin to think more of me. I'm not sure if I can ever have victory over this. He's right on that. And uh, here's the problem. So many of us go to the word of God and we use it like the law. Lists of things we should do and not do to clarify right and wrong. And then apart from God, we take it unto ourselves and we just try to muscle it. We start writing notes to ourselves in notebooks saying what would go wrong and what could be better. And we just start forcing ourselves to try to express it outwardly. And the word of God has become nothing more than a useless sense of rights and wrongs. That is not what God's word is all about. God's word to introduce you to the almighty king of the universe. To introduce you to the one who does change our soul. To the transformer of our hearts where the 13 elements get set aside and our God becomes our hope. Yes, it can clear up rights and wrongs, but if that's all you're getting from scripture, well, again, the law cannot justify and the works of the law do not make us justified before God. Be careful how you use the word. All too often we can just open it up and read for rights and wrongs and then try to go after it ourselves. There is no hope in that. Hope. May the Holy Spirit and his glory be pouring over me with all he's got. Hope. His glory. Introduced to him as I read through this. God, show me more of you and less of me and more of you. And I want to exchange back your glory for whatever junk I had on the throne. And you, Lord, and worshiping you. And transformation begins. All right? And uh, so simple question. How are you doing with the law or even the Bible before you and just using it as written boundaries of rights and wrongs? Do you get that that's a dead end path? Are you ready to lean on your God and worship him? Everybody say worship. That's the word that counts. Worship him. It's what unleashes the spirits moving in your life worshiping, taking time with him, appreciating him, thanking him, longing for him to be shown off worship. That's what it works like. And all 13 of these things become nothing before that God being worshiped in your life as he transforms. And we need Jesus Christ as our savior and Lord. That's the starting point. And then we worship him with all we've got. The scripture is pretty clear. It's a pretty ugly situation without Christ. And uh, so third point, I just wanted to make sure we summarize this whole series. All right? 
So summary, God's glory has been trampled with a devastating cost to us. That's the summary. God's glory has been trampled with a devastating cost to us. Um, I'm just going to read a, a few passages and talk to a few passages real quick. Romans 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's how this whole book starts. Set apart for God's glory, the gospel of God revealed. He then says, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hope. In the first 16 verses, Paul has laid the whole thing out. And then he's like, hey, let's take 16 chapters to make it clear to you. That's what's going on. And... uh Then he says, hey, what happens when we don't listen to this? Well, we exchange the glory of God for. And he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God. And it says, and then God has this response. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. The death spiral of sin as our worship is broken sends us off into the world of me. As he gives us up to our lusts, as he gives us up to dishonorable passions, as he gives us up to a debased mind that's like, that sin seems good. The death spiral. When you're approving of sin, you know you're at rock bottom. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2. Well, yeah, but I'm not as evil as those guys you just listed, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm okay. And no, there is no excuse. If you knew enough to judge, if you could look at another person and see the right and the wrong, well, then you know right and wrong. You knew. And, uh, or maybe you're the one who's just sitting there quietly with the inside conscience, just grabbing a hold, and you now know what's right and wrong inside. Your conscience speaking, and you know. You know what's right and wrong. And you're stepping out for self anyway. Or maybe you even have the law in your hands and sitting on your bookshelf and you've been reading and knowing and memorizing. You know, you know right and wrong. Romans chapter 2, there is no excuse. And Romans 3, objection, your honor. Objection. I think he's saying the Jews had no value. And no, that's not what we're saying. There's great value in knowing him that way, but it is not a saving knowledge. It is not a saving knowledge. Well, objection, your honor. I think he just made God unfaithful in this because he's losing people. Some aren't saved and no, it doesn't make God unfaithful. We're the ones breaking the contract, the covenant. As we don't follow through the if, then the then doesn't follow after. And it's not God that's unfaithful. It's us and choosing self and Trying to make creation more important than creator. And objection, your honor. I think he just said sin is okay because it allows God's glory to be revealed. And Paul's like, no. Never said it. It's slanderous. That's not what I'm saying. But I am telling you this. My God is big enough that in the midst of my ridiculous rebellion to make good out of it. That's my God. And that I will preach. That my God can make 
awesome glory be revealed even when I sin. Please, that doesn't make sin good. It makes God unbelievable. Amen? That's what we got to grasp. And then lastly here, let's get our situation. It's terminal. It's dire. And we're in need of a savior. And there is but one hope. Jesus Christ and him alone. Our situation. There is none righteous. Not one. There is no one that understands. There is no one that seeks after God. None. That's where we stand. Without Jesus Christ. Wow. I'm going to tell you. After this, we're going to get into a series called Gospel Deep, His Glory Restored. There's the answer that comes right next in these verses, and we're saving that for next week, all right? We're going to sit with this, and let's let God speak this week. That without Him, terminal. Lord, we need you. And let's go to him with that, all right? Do me a favor. Let's just bow our heads and let's just spend a little bit of time with our God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Oh, Father, we hear you. We understand that alone we are hopeless. That we make it all about ourselves, that it spins out uncontrollably, that we constantly make it more and more about me. And Lord, I know we stand up and we claim, I've got this, I can be good enough, or I've got this, I'm following your law. Lord, may we set all those ridiculous solutions down and just grab hold of you. Man, in this moment, as you reflect back on all of Romans, As you reflect back on today, will you do me a favor? Just come to your king with this simple statement. Exhaling out, spiritual breathing. Lord, I confess. I've been wrong. Here's something I'm holding on to and I need to release it before you. Just confess to your king, will you? breathing in for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation we have hope in him praise him and thank him right where we are Everyone who believes. Thank you, Lord, that faith alone. And you can be my Savior. Wow. 
in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Jesus Christ and his perfection counted to you just because of faith. Wow. Thank him for his righteousness and that we don't need to be good enough. breathing out again I just simply ask have you trusted in Christ as your savior have you made him your king set down this sin that so easily entangles and done with it said Lord I want to follow you and run with you you're my God have you taken that step where he has forgiven you And if you haven't, make right now the moment. Put that stake in the ground. If you trust Christ as your Savior, be praying even now right here for hearts and lives to be stirred. And if you want to commit with Him, it's about that decision right here. It's about that hearing Him draw you and just saying, I'm in. What a great way to start that process is with a prayer of thanks. Right where you are. Maybe you just pray right after me as I pray and you can just say these words quietly where you are. There's nothing magic about the prayer and there's nothing saving about saying a prayer. It's I'm in, Lord, with you. But this prayer lets him know where you're at. Just say after me, if you want to follow him, dear Heavenly Father. I hear you. I agree with you. I need to be forgiven. And I need to set stuff down now. Please forgive me for my sin. Please use your shed blood on the cross to replace what I owe. You're awesome. And Lord, please count your righteousness to me. And forget what I've done. You are awesome, God. I'm following you. You are my king. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed. And you might be a believer here today and it's like, it's time. We have people all over this place and there is sin going on. There's something you haven't let go of yet and it needs to be done. No more mirroring of verses 9 through 18. It's time to celebrate who our God is. And I'm ready to give it to you, Lord. There are marriages running amok right here. You know what's happening. Affairs, devastation, wrong decisions, and you're eating yourself alive with addictions. It's done. You have power in Jesus Christ. No more being identified. 
with Romans 3, 9 through 20. We're setting it aside and he's our God. Just set whatever you need to set aside to him right now. right where you are as I close in prayer oh father we are amazed with your truth Romans 1 through 3 is harsh words quite frankly often not fun to hear but so necessary to get that we can grasp the intensity of this devastation and yet you are our hope we need you Lord we need you with all we've got And we thank you for who you are, Jesus, as our Savior and our King. In your mighty name I pray, amen.